Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello, welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. I am Dave Eisenstadter, editor of the Valley Advocate, and I'm here with Karima Risk, uh, one of our O-Cannabis columnists and uh, just cannabis extraordinaire. Uh, Welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, So you wrote, um, you've written a couple things for us uh, recently, but what I really want to start with is you wrote this really great, like how to grow or, you know, what the laws are around it and how to actually do it um, in Massachusetts. And I'd love for you to to tell us a little bit about your experience um, growing at your place. Yeah. um, Well, that article entitled How to Grow Your Weed Outdoors was a wonderful opportunity to see what it's like to be a consumer in 2019 and to exercise our new legal rights to grow cannabis outdoors. And so I got to talk to a few experts and go through the process of purchasing the materials. Um, I have my babies, my little ladies growing in my basement. They're little guys right now, or gals, I should say. It's the female part of the plant. It is the female that we we do want, that side of the gender spectrum. Um, (laughs) But then, um, and then also outside, I have one clone. Someone has since gifted me, and that that fella or lady is now outside. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and... um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of people maybe are interested um, in growing their own weed or, you know, like, be, you know, exercising that legal right. But maybe they don't know how to get started. Like, what would you say to someone like that? Sure. Um, well, I think the best thing is just to jump in wherever you're comfortable. Um, if you've ever grown a little plant as a school project or even in your yard, um, it's just as simple as putting in a seed and getting the water started, really, um, or pouring the water and putting it in soil. Um, so I think that's the basic thing is just kind of getting over your fear of like, oh, this is so complicated and it's really not rocket science. Um, the other thing is sourcing seeds. It's a little bit hard right now because not a lot of retail stores, um, no licensed cannabis retail stores currently carry seeds to for sale. So folks are um, must either order them online through vendors, whether in the United States or overseas, oftentimes in Amsterdam um, or London. Um, and then also there are different ways to exchange and trade, which is completely legal. Um, it places uh, Some of the trade shows in Harvest Cups are a great place to do go. We have an annual Harvest Cup in Worcester. So um, look for the name Genetics. That's usually a, a cue. We, in the article, I made a few recommendations passed on to me. Um, Another recommendation is if you can try to go local because the plant will be known to grow locally and or the grower will have detailed information about what the climate is like around here. Um, And also supporting the local economy is really important too. Yeah, I remember one, uh, I think, Facebook commenter on your piece was talking about how oh man back in the day we would we would curse out whenever there were seeds uh in what we would buy and now there's they sell for like ten dollars each or something i wish i had saved all those seeds or something just kind of interesting how things like turn around like that that's a great great comment and it was back in the day you get a baggie and it'd be seedy weed and um you know you could plant it and see what happens Today, the seeds they sell, um, they retail for approximately um, $10 for $100 or $10 for one. Um, Usually, you have to get them in five or 10 packs, but they're much more highly specialized. 
oftentimes they're feminized. So that takes the guesswork of knowing if you have a male or female plant, um, you will know exactly the strain um, and what oftentimes what the properties are that come with it. Um, also ratios, if folks are interested in CBD and want maybe less um, psychoactivity, they can customize the type of experience they want through the strain selection. And CBD, could you talk a little bit about what, what that uh, So cannabidiol or CBD is a compound or a cannabinoid found in cannabis. Um, and cannabis has many, many, many. Um, the most prominent and the ones that occur in the greatest concentration are THC and CBD. Um, CBD tends not to have as much of a psychoactive effect, although it can be very calming. And sometimes that in itself can be a little bit of a euphoric relief. Um, but in general, it's, it's um, been found quite safe and tolerable. It's great for anxiety, for um, gastrointestinal issues, arthritis, um, cancer, all sorts of things, depression, ADHD. Um, there's a lot of great studies, also epilepsy. So, um, it's an attractive option for a couple reasons as well, because you can source CBD through a cannabis plant, um, including getting it from a licensed cannabis dispensary, or you can also get it in genetically engineered high CBD hemp that you don't need a license for. Um, and consequently, we're finding a proliferation of hemp CBD products in places like um, get, uh, everything from health food stores, uh, CVS will soon be carrying it. I just saw on DSW in the Hoyoke Mall has CBD creams for aching feet. Um, so all over the place, you don't need a license. The one thing I will say for any consumer is just make sure you know where your products are coming from and um, try, try to get as much information as a savvy consumer. That's something I talk about in my upcoming uh, dosing article as well about um, CBD is a wonderful nutritional supplement or something to add to your diet. It's usually very well tolerated and oftentimes um, it's the first of the cannabinoids that they may try to give to, say, a pediatric patient or maybe an elderly patient who doesn't want any of the experience with THC. But um, it's an unregulated industry right now. So that means is we don't know where they the plants are coming from. We don't know their test results. And in some cases, there have been instances where law enforcement has actually tested um, the products they pulled off and found those to be the cl claims to be debunked. So it's really important no matter where you get your products, um, whether they're homegrown, whether they're from a dispensary or even from just um, a grocery or health food store just to have as much information to make a safe consumer choice. Yeah, and I definitely want to come back to um, talking about dosing again, um, but I want to return to uh, just growing your own outside. And, uh, you know, so once you get those seeds and, um, you know, you're off and running, do you find that it's a, it's a, it's a particularly easy or difficult plant to work with compared to, say, peas or other things you might be growing in your garden? Um, well, I'd say there's some aspects. In general, it's it's a weed, so have faith it will grow and it will grow pretty well. But that said, there are some special considerations. For example, um, as I'm learning with my first generation of plants, um, it's recommended that you start your plants from seedlings indoors in a little tent. And then when they're big and strong enough, usually around Memorial Day, if you're going around um, the cycles of growing, you would... Uh, transfer your plants outdoors once they're hardy enough. Um, so the element of kind of growing with a 24-hour lamp and th think about water is a little bit, those are a few more variables, a little more complicated. Um, but that said, it, it really isn't. And um, 
I also find it's kind of a, a wonderful, holistic kind of growing environment. You know, some people get into their gardens and, and have nirvana, you know, find peace and inner peace. And the more I talk to people, including when I interviewed um, the gentleman over at uh, the Here We Grow, um, can't recalling his name offhand, wonderful guy with a lot of grow experience. He was just talking about how it becomes really a meditative uh, stance and also there's a relationship so it becomes addictive not just in hey I'm getting less expensive cannabis but also you really like it and each time you grow each time you iterate you do it better um, so there's a craft there's an art there's science um, and people who do it generally rep- report a high satisfaction in yeah doing it. just having that relationship with the plants and kind of working through that that's a really interesting aspect of that um, so you have you're not anywhere near harvest yet, are you? No. So what when like what's kind of the time cycle of um you know planting the seed and like how long does it take to to grow and all that? Sure. Um. Well, as a novice grower, I'll have to <laughs> claim. Um. So they're getting my little guys or gals. I keep calling them guys. Um. <laughs> they're getting big enough to finally get outdoors. So I need to go plant them. They're strutting enough. They're about yay high. Yep. About like um, a foot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. About give or take and. Um, soon I'm going to have them co-mingle, which I'm really excited about in my garden. It's not going to be isolation. And I'm really excited about the living natural soil elements, for example, um, having ladybugs and, and, um, worms and, um, natural organic additives, um, that can, can help improve the environment, um, as a, as a whole ecosystem kind of integrated with literally with my vegetables growing all around it. Um, so that's kind of exciting for me. Um, I should expect this summer that they're, especially as the light cycles change and as the days start getting shorter and shorter from June 22nd, that's going to affect the plants and that'll be a natural cue to them to start their flowering cycle. So I'm looking forward to that. They're going to be getting bigger and budder. And I will also, some of the seeds I started with were not sexed, they're not feminized. So that means I have to look and try to see the ones that look like they're growing little seeds almost, you know, you can kind of tell, or it looks like they're growing little hairs. Um, so that's like kind of another exciting way to kind of interact with a plant yeah. is kind of find out what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's just a learning experience for right now. But um, it's really exciting to think about the added bonus. And frankly, even the value that translate if I get anything um it can the the windfall can be worth hundreds of dollars of products yeah um and uh i guess there's a few legal considerations too i mean there's there's a limit to how many plants you can grow right that's true and and where they can be on your property that's right absolutely so um in massachusetts the law is that up you may have up to six plants per adult and you if you have more than one adult you may have up to 12 um for household. Um, In terms of where and how, the law says you have to have it um, either uh, super like um, under observation for a camera or or under a lock, you know, so you can do one or the other. Or if you want, you can have concurrent systems. Um, Additionally, it can't be visible by the public without the use of uh, binoculars or from a plane. So essentially, that means you can't naturally look over and see someone's plant. In my instance, I happen to be planting closer to a six-foot fence that will help, I think, remediate some of the issues of someone seeing over. But certainly, um, a concern is that cannabis plants can grow higher. So, you know, maybe as a kind of workaround to be compliant, I might end up lobbing off little pieces, you know, mm-hmm. just to keep mm-hmm. it under. It's, you know, there's no textbook way how to do this. I happen to live in suburbia. Other folks who are um, in more rural areas really won't have to worry about neighbors complaining. 
Yeah, well, I'm very excited to kind of check in as you go further in the process and, and maybe uh, maybe get a Harvest article out of you if we can. Um, it's loaded, uh, absolutely. Uh, also wanted to talk about, like we said before, dosing. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the really difficult issues for the states that have legalized uh, medical marijuana and now recreational is people like uh, just having too much or freaking out or, you know, finding out what's safe and what's comfortable. And um, and on the medical side, you know, what is an appropriate dose to um, treat whatever ailment they have? And I um, and you just wrote this great piece on, on dosing. Thank so you. maybe could you talk a little bit about kind of what went into that and how those decisions get made? Absolutely. I think dosing is um, so important for any cannabis user because it really sets up the experience you want to have. Um, when you hear of some of the uh, really scary incidents of people who maybe uh, I highlighted one where in Martha's Vineyard, three people passed out. Um, you know, definitely most of us know people who've had extreme anxiety. Um, you think about those really bad reactions many times that can come back to dosing and they did not have the proper dose. Oftentimes they over-medicated and they have these negative side effects that were way too strong. So dosing sets it up so that in a discrete, measurable way, you can know how much to consume for exactly what you're trying to achieve, Um, whether that's medical, whether it's wellness, or whether it's recreational adult use. Um, Yeah, and um, are there, I, I mean... There are lots of ways that people consume cannabis now, and I think that you know, from edibles to shatter, other you know, other things that pe- probably people haven't heard of. Um, are there dosing considerations with the way that you consume um, uh, cannabis as well? Absolutely. Um, so some of the most easy. Pr- products that lend themselves to dosing. And again, we're looking at measurable, trying to know exactly how much, how many milligrams of cannabinoids, including THC and CBD. Um, By law, the adult use retail and medical dispensaries in the state uh, have to have the testing results and product label information. So that's really important. And just like someone would use, um, like go to the grocery store and buy a box of cereal, the FDA mandates a food label and it tells you what's in it. So uh, too, should you know what in the components and constituents are of the material you're consuming. Um, so going back to edibles, I find that's a really great way um, Massachusetts has us uh, have individual servings, whether they're scored or broken apart, to make it really super easy. So you're not hopefully eating the whole chocolate bar before you're doing it. You're looking and saying, ah, each piece is five milligrams. You know, the gummies, yeah, (laughs) tinctures, there's so many. But one thing I love is that... um, there's a lot of product innovation in the cannabis industry. And so some of the products I highlighted were both really great ways to dose, but also discreet and um, kind of coming to your point about renting. Um, I was surprised you could never, ever know that, you know, you're using that. So it could be um, for to maintain privacy and, and for all sorts of reasons. If you have kids in the house, you know, it, it becomes really um, unobtrusive to anyone else around you. Yeah. And um, so I want to, Talk to you. So you're sort of making your way through the um, the fledgling cannabis industry, and I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about what that experience has been like. Sure. Would you like me to talk about uh, what well, you, I'm doing well, now? You, well, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you had your experience with um, kind of working with Cafe Verde, and mm-hmm. um, 
and you know you're you're kind of you've taken on a bunch of new responsibilities oh, now. Oh yeah, so, yeah, um, sure. So I'd be happy to share some of those. So um, many folks came to learn about me and about my venture cafe there in 2017. Um, I had it going strong for about a year or year and a half before I put it on hold, and um, that was a venture for social consumption in East Hampton, Massachusetts. And many of the steps had been achieved. I had a location. I was ready to sign a host community agreement. Um, but unfortunately, even to this date now in 2019, that class of license still has not been finalized. Social so, consumption. Social yeah. consumption licensing. Still waiting. Still waiting. Um, and now they're baby steps. They're talking about a pilot program and working groups. But still, even from now, um, Commissioner Shaleen Title, for example, is saying it could be years before. Mm -hmm. And then who knows, you know, and we also don't know what that will look like. For example, if um, social consumption places like coffee houses can sell cannabis, or if that um, right is is relegated to dispensaries. So a lot of questions to be answered. So after I, I learned how to go through the licensing process and have my own venture, and I could not move forward with that, um, I got to do a lot of other things in my spare time. One of the most exciting things was to try to um, pass social consumption at, at the municipal level. In the law, there is a provision to have um, a municipal ballot procedure. So um, I became a chairwoman and formed a, a political committee with fellow East Hampton residents, and we attempted to go through and, and pass a social consumption ballot. However, unfortunately, we ran into conflicts where um, the Secretary of State's office would not let us proceed because um, really they felt that the law could not be fully um, uh, carried out. There weren't the proper forms and procedures. So now that issue is before the state legislature. But it was really exciting to play one tiny role in trying to push the conversation forward and, and also expose where maybe things sound better in theory in, in legislative draft rather than in practice at the local level. Um, so in, uh, I've had the wonderful privilege to continue in talking about equity and my, my opportunity and, and experiences um, as, it, for, as a social consumption um, enterprise, as um, a female minority, and a really difficult dis uh, industry where a lot of us have not been able to succeed. That's been the larger story in Massachusetts. Um, but I have to say, having been to literally years of attending planning board and city council hearings for cannabis, um, another entrepreneur recognized that I was in the same space and asked me to join his venture. So I am now the director of operations at the Verb is Herb in East Hampton. It's one of the first small independent retail cannabis stores coming to uh, like a main street, not an industrial zone. So it's coming to Cottage Street this summer. So well, really congratulations. And, um, Thank you. You know, you to your point before. You know, do you have any recommendations about how to uh, make the cannabis industry more welcoming to women, people of color? Um, uh, you know, just to improve that equity, as you were talking about before. Um, that is a really big question. It's something, a conversation that's going on with the Cannabis Control Committee uh, Commission and in the state. Um, in earnest, and, and nobody really knows the best solution. There is a program. Um, I'd highly encourage anyone to see if you may qualify. The social equity program is open, um, and there are economic empowerment um, candidates. But unfortunately, as I found out, they if you didn't apply in the first two weeks back in April, then you can't apply until they take care of those folks. So um, that said, though, some of the other things that I learned from my own experience, I would really encourage to people to try to find mentors um, to attend. There are a lot of educational events, and there um, there are. Th 
dialogues, whether it's industry mixers or um, an event I'm helping to put on January 19th is the Pioneer Valley Cannabis Industry Summit. And so we're focusing, we have two panels, one's on small business and the other is on social equity and trying to drive that conversation forward. Um, so all over the states, there are a state rather, there, there are events and educational things to do, but it is really, really hard. And I'd say trying to build up your support as much as possible. And the last thing is actually leverage your advantages. Um, many of the large organizations, they aren't familiar with the local people or the government, or maybe they don't know what the zoning ordinances are yet. They have to pit hire someone to help them. But as a small local person, there's a good chance that you know people who vote, who are residents, maybe you're a parent, and those are all hats that you can wear and use to your advantage. And I'd really encourage people to start having that conversation with their local government who has to support their application when they apply for licensing. Um, how, you know, I think we will be able to have those opportunities. We just have to keep at it uh, and find lean, smart ways to do it so we can stay in the industry. Uh, Karima, thank you so much for, for coming in. A uh, real pleasure talking with you about uh, cannabis and, and a lot of the topics there. So thanks so much. Truly my pleasure, Dave. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Thank you.